Hello, and welcome to the Words and Music Podcast, where we talk to musicians about their favorite books and authors. I'm David Wilson, and it's great to be back with you after a long layoff. In this episode, I talk with Danny Carenos, who records and performs as Amigo the Devil. Over the past decade, Amigo the Devil has toured relentlessly, building up a passionate fan base that is drawn to the macabre, bleakly funny, and often surprisingly moving songs that defy easy categorization. Of his latest album, Born Against, No Depression says Danny is not only navigating the light and darkness of life, but he's striving to unearth the beautiful freedom that exists in the space between and offer to those who have ears to hear. In this episode, Danny and I talk about his early love of zines and the novels of of Cormac McCarthy, the importance of indie music in bookstores, and his career and songwriting process. Here's a sample of the song Small Stone off of Amigo the Devil's new album Born Against, followed by my conversation with Danny, recorded via Zoom in late May. Small stone, big river, long night, hard liver, cold sweat and shivers to sleep. Bedside Believer, lifetime achiever, rhinestones and no one to see. All God's glory, only all of I can definitely comfortably say that the beginning and most of this project up and now, I mean, genuinely hasn't changed much in terms of it being um, it's completely accidental. Yeah. And being completely, and then nothing was ever really, really planned. I wasn't really influenced by the music that I'm influenced now when I began. It's been a, a genuine journey, and I know everyone says that. And to everybody, it is true. Everybody has their own journey, right? Nah, 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 whatever. Sure. Sure. But this this started out of boredom. Um, I didn't know how to play the banjo. I didn't really play the acoustic guitar. I was playing ton of trick stuff and noise stuff before, so it wasn't like I was influenced by this incredible folk or western or country roots music at all it was very much i bought you know these instruments because 
the banjo seemed funny to me considering where I grew up in Miami. I just okay. didn't have it around me and I was like, ha ha ha, it's a banjo. Um, and then out of boredom after it sitting in a corner for a long, long time, I just picked it up, tried to figure it out. And that kind of kicked off uh, interest for a whole world that I really didn't know anything about. The, the only real consistent that I've had is, is the storytelling aspect is that I knew that I wanted to have the, the stories as the core of the songs, as opposed to the musicality behind it. Sure. You, so growing up in Miami, what were you, what were you listening to? What kind of stuff was, was in the air then? With some things I got an early start with other things. I got a much later start than I wish I had. Um, but I was listening to a lot of, of heavier music in general and all, all my friends were much older, but they were all metal heads and they're all into, you know, either hardcore kids or metal kids and all that. And then my mom and dad aren't from the U S so the music they listened to was very, very different from what, uh, all my friends now grew up listening to. And I think the closest I came to. Anything that I listen to now is like Kenny Rogers and Meatloaf. Yeah. And that was just their thing. Like Billy, Billy Joel and Elton John, Kenny Rogers and Meatloaf. And that's kind of the extent of, of the, the music in the household that was in English, essentially. Well, <laughs> well I mean, you have some of the, the drama of that stuff. and I mean, there's like a, a, a drama to those Meatloaf songs and those Billy Joel songs that definitely – seems to have influenced you in some way. I mean, I feel like if I listen to your stuff, I can I can hear influences for individual songs, but not necessarily individual influences for the entire body of work, if that makes sense. Like, you know, there's definitely like a metal thing going on at times. There's the kind of Eastern European thing happening at times. There's the folky thing happening at times. There's the, there's, there is something, oh, it's yeah. funny you mentioned Meatloaf because there's something of that like, drama of it too you know that that comes across for and, sure and that's what it is it's the, the drama i'm very dramatic yeah <laughs> in my life in music everything when things are bad they're the worst when things are great they are the best yeah and there's there's no middle ground so uh well, it's the highs and lows and difficult <laughs> yeah task of everyone around me dealing with it so <laughs> what was uh, um Demi Rousseau was a huge, huge influence. And I don't talk about him that much because I, I feel like it's so in the past for, for my lifetime in general that um, it seems unfair to bring up, but more of that drama for you. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, I feel like a lot of music, I feel like if I think about how people how encounter books, often they start like reading early things like older things in school and then they work their way forward. And with music, it seems like it happens the other way that you kind of start at the moment that you're of what's happening in your life. And then you kind of dig back to fake, to kind of get to the root of what, of a lot of the music that you're listening to. It seems like you're kind of in that space musically of just kind of mining a vein, like deeper and deeper in a sense. Of oh yeah. I feel like you're, you're a hundred percent right on that.
was a kid who came home Read from panic and fear Some kids at the school Had beaten him way past tears His mom cried, Jesus Christ As she cleaned the blood pouring out of his ears But it was obvious that Quiet as a rat God was nowhere near There was a girl at the bar She overdosed in a photo booth Nobody found her body until last call Then the pictures all showed her Terrified and loner What, what kind of things, like, if we're, if we're thinking about, like, early influences, were there... I mean, you mentioned some of the music and stuff. What about like, what, what was school like for you? Were there books that were that that spoke to you back then, or you know, there's there's certainly a narrative, school? yeah, or just just books in general. Like, I mean, some of the books that you mentioned are are, are you know like Shel Silverstein things like that. That like you know generally, well, and speaking of a, a poet and a songwriter, there's one right there. But um, you know, if there's a progression to the way that you kind of encountered books or books that kind of moved you at different points of your life and and if, and and when you were younger, what what sorts of things were you were you digging? Yeah, um I can trace my entire uh, literary adventure to one specific book that kicked everything off because I did have the schooling. I had the regular reads, you know, the, the books that literally everyone has to read. Yeah. And uh, they felt like such a task. And, and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed reading. I enjoyed the, the cinematic visual, the visualization of it in my mind and the imaginary uh, kind of stimulus that it brought. But at the end of the day, it was a task. It was the same thing. Um, and then I remember I, I had picked up. So when I was digging for music back in the day, and this does kind of, you know, relate to the same thing i would look at a lot of the old zines like the old magazines and yeah. stuff like that and in one of them it had the recommended album list which was all these little you know diy punk bands and shit like that and in that same um in that magazine they had uh, a books column as well books you should read yeah and I never really paid much attention to it until I want to say that was probably 14, 14 sounds like a good number to say. And, uh, they had this book called burn collector by Al Alberium. And, um, I didn't know anything about this gentleman back then at all, but I ended up finding the book in the local record store. It was this like, punk dude essentially who had written a collection of essays and short stories and poetry and it was almost like a collage of creativity and i read that thing just over and over and over again and i couldn't get enough of it and there was something that finally connected the idea of the scenario these words were presenting and the emotion I was able to receive from those scenarios as opposed to just reading these stories and going, that was a cool story. It was the first time that I realized someone else gets me. And, and these words mean way more 
than what I thought they did. And that's when I really started digging into uh, books in general. And um, shortly after that is I did start reading the, the Cormac McCarthy stuff. Yeah. And that was an entirely separate journey that just blew my mind into obliteration. Absolutely. I remember the feeling of uh, the shock, essentially, that I had. Do you remember what which one was um, the first McCarthy book you got you got into? Child of God. Okay. Dude, yeah, that's Child of God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh <laughs> that's uh I mean that you know that that's interesting because it that almost feels like a, a song you could have written, right? I mean, this is this guy who's murdering people to basically assemble a family, right? I mean, isn't the, oh. isn't, isn't there a scene in that where he like he he like murders somebody and then he sets their body up and then he keeps walking up the stairs almost imagining that he's like coming home to somebody right mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> that was, i think that was one of the first moments where i, I thought you can do this is this allowed is this can yeah. you? um and jesus that there was there were so many things about it that i just didn't know were allowed essentially Right. I, it was something that was, um, I knew it wasn't appropriate. I knew that. Yeah. And I knew that, you know, that, that teen angst in me, that rebellion, the teen rebellion was like, yeah, this is cool. But it was so much more than that. It was just absolute. Oh, I just it was captivating and it felt gross. How old were you then? Do you remember? Jeez, sorry. I, yeah. <laughs> no, that's I haven't thought about that book in a while, man. No, I would have been fifteen or sixteen. Yeah. yeah, yeah, fifteen or sixteen. So that's normally in school you're reading um, like Catcher in the Rye and things like that, and you're falling into this kind of dark McCarthy hole at that age. Well, and that was the hard part was that you know after the Alberi and the, after the Burn Collector experience that I had, everything that we were reading in school was. Again, enjoyable because it was uh, it's a classic. It's going to be enjoyable. It's, it's well written. It is a cool story. It is what it is. But I was on a hunt for something deeper. Yeah, way deeper. And so I'd go to the bookstore, and and uh, luckily, I will say uh, there was this gentleman. His, his name was also Danny, and he was kind of like an older metalhead guy. He was. I looked up to him essentially at, at that age. I was like, wow, you know, all the, the, the smallest bands, you know, the most obscure movies guide me essentially. So I'd walk into the shop and be like, Hey, give me something crazy. He'd be like, here you go. Yeah. Um, so I do thank him a lot for guiding me both in music, film and, and books. It was a quiet night down at the gaming hall We doubled up on cocaine and Adderall The room full of smoke and the air so still That I choked when I raised up both of my hands to yell BINGO! I was looking around trying to track down who the biggest threat would be Seeing the fear in everybody's eyes and apparently it was me 
guess I know why. I've been coming here cleaning house for the past few weeks. I was being That burn collector, I feel like that was uh, kind of like a serialized thing too, right? Like he was like kind of putting out this like autobiographical like zine thing, like yes, right? And then and then burn collector is the the, the, the collection of that, all of okay. them. Yeah, 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 that's a cool. Yeah, I mean that's kind of like that moment. Of, like the internet obviously all took over, but like that moment of of print zines where anything goes, you know, and people would 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 buy them you know or find them and hunt them down it was so wild i was so and again i think one of the things that 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 that, uh that collection those zines in general i think one of the things they taught me is be honest because it works when you're honest yeah and just it doesn't matter who's going to judge you it doesn't matter how embarrassing the the situation is just be honest and that was a, a very very important lesson for me to learn especially at that age because that was very much a, a point of pride where I was like, hey, I'm not embarrassed of anything. And I mean, back then in my mind, I wasn't, obviously I was embarrassed and scared of everything. Sure. But <laughs> in my mind, I felt. Yeah. yeah. Um, were you writing songs back then or, or just. Uh, I was writing terrible little. <laughs> like pop punk songs and post punk songs and these little thrash songs and stuff like that. And, and I was just terrible at them. Yeah. I was so bad at it. Just genuinely miserable at this craft. And that's why I swore off music forever. I said, I, this isn't for me. But I mean, you got to write the bad ones to get to the good ones. You know, I, I always ask myself, is it, was it the time between not playing music and singing again, or was it just style of music and story I was trying to tell? And I don't, I don't really know. I'm sure a little bit of both. Yeah. I uh, know. I was going to go back to the Shel Silverstein for a second. Um, the whole Shel Silverstein thing is so interesting because one of my favorite bands in the world, I didn't know for the longest time that, sh- that Silverstein had so much to do with them, but uh, Dr. Hook and the Medicine Show? Yeah. I had no idea for the longest time that a lot of those songs were written um, by Shell, and it makes a lot of sense when, when you think about it because the, the, the general mood and atmosphere of those lyrics is very much the same as the poetry. Yeah. So it's a crazy concept. Yeah, no, I I feel like it makes when you you know for me I I read that stuff when I was a kid and then later to find out like oh he wrote a boy named Sue and like I was like oh yeah, it all made sense you know it all feels yeah. connected in a way um, yeah and and you know I have two little kids now and and to go back and read that stuff it's so good it's amazing like it's still you don't feel at all embarrassed going back and looking at that and realizing that you that you liked it the stuff that was like really beautiful and moving in it when as a kid is still really beautiful and moving in it as an adult and it's kind of playful it's weird you know it's it's i mean it's even weirder as an adult when you look at it i love how simple it is yeah it's simple 
it's efficient. Yeah. And it's perfect. It, it's like the, the exact words that needed to be used. Yeah. And it, and, but, and it is weird. You know, there's like a lot of weirdness in it, a lot of playfulness in it. Like that. that. <laughs> weird. Um, the Bruce Elliott book, uh, Still Life, was the first full true crime novel that I had read. Um, that was another recommendation by, by this guy, Danny. And uh, that was the one, one of the stories that, that kind of set me off on the true crime experience and being more interested in all of that. And... Uh, it's one of those books that I forget about very often. I forget it existed. I forget that I read it and I forget the importance that it had on my path as a human. Um, that was a completely different type of thrill and horror esque feeling, uh, than, you know, Charlie God, for example, was. And that was the first time that it was a, this gratuitous slasher type of, true crime experience that I had. Um, and I, I never realized how much I reference the feeling that I got reading that book to the points that I'm writing a story now, essentially, or lyrics or whatever it is. Because, it, you know, I went back and I read it a couple years ago and it wasn't as great as when I first read it. Yeah. I'm, I'm not putting it down, but it wasn't what I remembered. Uh, but it is funny how, you know, especially with age, you're talking about going back with the shell books and all that, and, and they hold up. And it's so funny how the, the right story at the right time, at the right, whether it's age or mood or experience in your life, whatever it is, the right book at the right time is so impactful when otherwise it could just be something that you don't, that you put down, you know, 30%. And so far in my life, I'll agree. But it seems a lot more comfortable to cry in a Lamborghini. But one day while you're driving down the five, the earth splits open and all of us die. At least we're all together, and this time it's forever. And all we have to pass the time is you and them and me and the reckoning you might get to sleep forever in a 24 karat casket covered up in dirt from a place you can't pronounce a headstone so big even astronauts can see the only thing you'll never get to die with is dignity it's, I find it interesting that you kind of it sounds like you kind of were into music and then dropped it for a while. Um, when did you, so when did you kind of start to find your voice as a, as a writer, as a songwriter? Um, I was, that, that moment when I was talking about that I was bored and not really doing much and kind of, I was going to work around, you know, 5am coming home at four. I didn't have my friends. Um, at that time in San Francisco, that's where I was living. I picked up the banjo, started to figure it out, wrote some songs, same with the acoustic, and again, demos out of boredom. I didn't think much of them. 
And uh, one of my one of the few friends that I did have kept pushing me, saying, "Hey, this is actually really good." It's my friend. I didn't believe her. I didn't. I didn't you know, think much of it. And she just kept nagging me, saying, "Hey, there's something here. Pursue it." And again, I ignored it for a while, uh, but I kept making the demos. I kept writing songs because I was just bored. I had nothing else to do. And it was something to pass the time. It was better than, you know, blacking out every night on the, at the corner bar, which I was doing anyway. Yeah. But uh, it, it felt productive. And that was kind of a way to get myself out of the hole. And then my other friend, a couple of years later, he said, hey, what are you doing with these songs that you wrote? I was like, nothing, nothing at all. And he really is uh, who motivated me to kind of pursue the, the, the path of the project. But I wouldn't necessarily say that I found my voice at that time. That was just the first time that I felt comfortable with what I was doing, writing, and how I was singing, which singing was one of my biggest fears on earth. In my life, that was one of my biggest fears of all time. Yeah, I, I've I've heard you say that. Um, I've heard you say that. And and I, it, I find it fascinating because yeah, you. So I, I mean, I feel like I've had as a musician similar feelings of like ending up being a singer and not feeling really comfortable doing it. But I've just kind of figured out a way to be like kind of stylized. You figured out a way to actually fucking sing, <laughs> which is amazing. I mean, I, it, like to hear you sing, I'm like, how is this dude ever? not comfortable as a singer because your voice is, is like can do all of those things. That's that, that seem like if you can do that, you would, you would not shy away from it. But so I find it fascinating that you were uncomfortable with it. Well, I appreciate that. Um, you know, I, I still personally feel like, uh, the difference between, I guess, getting through what I'm doing now or, you know, faking what styles I'm trying to imitate or sounds I'm trying to imitate is, uh, I still can't do it consistently. <laughs> I'm still, yeah. <laughs> still trying to figure out how to get all of that down to a repetitive nature where, you know, the people that I consider are great singers, they can just do it over and over and over again. And I really, really have to, consider what I'm doing right. to belt out some of the stuff or yell. And, and I end up going back to just yelling a lot live, which is kind of a bummer because it comes off very aggressive and it comes off um, out of place sometimes. But that's just the disconnect between the excitement and remembering that there is an actual sound I'm supposed to be making as opposed to an emotion. Sure. Yeah, I wonder if some of that is just like also the like playing certain types of rooms too, right? When you're just there by yourself with a guitar and a and a and a bunch of excited drunk people in front of you, it probably lends itself to to a certain type of uh, of approach too, right? Yeah, I could. I I do feel like especially when, when shows are you know going well and everyone's getting amped up and then I'm getting amped up. And then I'm like, ah, it's working. 
yeah. and then I just start yelling more, and then I'm like, let's get more excited, and then it becomes this just giant, ah! yeah. <laughs> um, and, and it's really funny to go back after those nights and realize, could have toned it down a bit. Probably would have been better had pared it back a bit. Yeah. But, uh, but dude, I mean, you have some passionate fans so <laughs> i mean it seems like hard to 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 not get swept up in that um we've been very very fortunate with that and i think that there's a big i think that's where one of the big learning curves was with this project was that uh, a lot of the friends that i know that make music they they say, hey, I'm going to start a project and it's going to sound something like this and it's going to look something like this. And I feel like that's the right way to approach a task you're trying to accomplish, right? Just have those goals in mind. Since we were just winging it for so long, I think that that bond, that relationship between the listener and, and our side kind of grew in a different way than it normally would. And as opposed to it being, you know, the this, this same sort of um, fan-appreciating person making the music, it is a very, very mutual accommodation where both sides are learning from each other so much, where I am learning every time I go to a show or play a show. Um, I, I don't know if they're learning anything at all, but I, I'm learning on my side and I see them smiling. So I'm assuming they're getting something out of it. Maybe not learning, but you know, some sort of mutual benefit. And that has kind of allowed for this very open and honest communication to exist between these, these two sides, essentially, if you, if you want to kind of burden it down to two sides. Um, and I feel like that has led to a very, very heavy connection and friendship and sort of unity that I feel very, very grateful to have with the people that do come out to the shows and listen to the records and all that. It's a quarter to two and the bars are all closing. Nobody looks how they think. The guy in the corner with spit in his beard Wearing more than he drank of his drink The dancers are shaking like ants Desperate to find a last-minute queen While the rest of us are all headed home To try finding comfort in dreams Cause this isn't life I know that I chose it but I can't stand waking up And nobody knows it I'll never find the strength To change what I need Is this who I'll always be? I open my eyes I mean, it seems, I mean, obviously there's a narrative component at the center of almost all of your songs, right? I mean, you're, you're either, you're often writing from the perspective of a, of a character 
who's telling the story and often a, 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 a character who probably wouldn't generally um, elicit a whole lot of sympathy from, from, you know, an average person and, um, and you're, and kind of managing to humanize that person and their story. I mean, I think that's kind of central, like, let's talk about child of God. I mean, that's like, a, that's what that book does, right? I mean, it seems like there is a lot of synergy between the things that you have referenced as being interested in as a reader and what you're doing kind of narratively within your songs. Is that, is that, would you agree with that statement first of all? And, and is that something you're conscious of doing? I, I do agree with it. Um, I would say I'm conscious of it half of the time. I'd yeah. say 50, 60% of the time. Um, there was a, a strange thing. One of the other McCarthy books that I reference a lot and I go back to almost annually is Blood Meridian. Um, because That's... that was that was one of the stories that the the telling of that story was so unique amongst that collection of of that like McCarthy era book um, that it really did lead a lot with emotion as opposed to description, mm-hmm. and that kind of plays into the I wouldn't say empathetic side of you know, these the horrible people, but the humanization is definitely a conscious factor. I don't always mean for it to be sympathetic. And I think it does come across sympathetic sometimes, but depending on which story I'm telling and which character it is, that's something that either bothers me a lot or it just happens naturally. Yeah, I mean, perhaps symp- sympathetic might not be the might not be the the word uh, the the right word there, but maybe um, allows us to understand a character a little bit more. I, I mean, yeah, I, I feel like there's a you know between empathy and sympathy itself. I, I think I see it from a, a very cautious perspective because I don't want to come across that way. Yeah. I don't want to, you know, cause a lot of these songs are about these horrible people and I don't want to come across as like, Hey, there's a good side to them too. Sure. Cause there isn't, you know, is there a human side to them? Yes. Um, is there an association that we can kind of relate to on a, timeline spectrum yes is there a quantifiable difference between how we react to something and how someone else reacts to something absolutely but you know is there room for for pity no right so i don't i don't know it's one of those weird things that i'm still learning about it and I'm, I'm still learning how to write a lot of that yeah i mean i guess i can see how how style how that could become a kind of thing to fall back on in a way and maybe a thing to, to try to move away from in some way is just taking these like it's probably a, a, a the, the balance between kind of being a personal songwriter and being a narrative songwriter you know i'd be interested to hear you know how you think about those two things um either kind of working together or working against each other because there's there's certain songs of yours that that seem like 
not just like personal, but like 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 confessional in in kind of the best way. Like I'm thinking of like cocaine and Abel or something like that, where that feels. I mean, I don't know, but it feels like a song that has to come from actual experience rather than just from reading about something. You know, or just like imagining something, I guess, is yeah. another way of thinking about it, right? And has and has such a great opening yeah, line. Yeah, uh, I mean, that opening line, the distance from the man I am and the man you. I want to be. I mean, that's like, I feel like that sums up a lot of like, I feel like a lot of, of, of literature in a way, even, right? Is like characters who are trying to negotiate that that space between who they are and what they want to be what they could be you know um so there really are two you kind of nailed it on that there are you know the narrative songs i mean there there are the the very i won't even say narrative there, there are the very very personal songs that are obviously personal and um, I feel like they tend to be more of this flow of consciousness as opposed to a written story, you know, like Cocaine and Abel. I think Another Man's Grave, to some degree, was this stream of consciousness that just, uh, like, verbal vomit to just speak out type of thing. And I feel like on paper and on the emotional level of it, it's hard to differentiate between... And I don't mean physically differentiate. I mean, once people say, oh, okay, these are very personal songs, right? And then it goes into a song about uh, Edmund Kemper, for example, is not a personal song. Sure. It's a song about this serial killer. Yeah. Um, there's no reason for a listener to differentiate, okay, this is personal, this is not. Once you kind of set the bar at that personal level, I feel like people just associate everything to that personal bar. And I think that's where I start to get iffy about a lot of the other things because some of the songs, I'm like, hey, this is not, this is just a story. Yeah. This one's a story. This one is me. You know, not, not all of them are me. Some of them are stories. Yeah. <laughs> Do you find one one type easier a, easier to write or or and or more satisfying or is it kind of a song by song? Uh, the self deprecation is very easy. Yeah, <laughs> just inward inward hatred is just too easy. <laughs> it flows right out. So, so yeah, those are here. the ones that I would say are. Uh, at midnight I'll be leaving for a place I've never been I feel a bit relieved, although I shouldn't And I reread all your letters that the prison let me keep They're the only thing that got me this far And this one is the last I'll ever write I'm sorry for the hurt that I brought this life 
I hope that you move on to find somebody to give you what I couldn't. To hell with the martyrs, to hell with trying to be. I know I don't deserve this life or glory. There won't be any angels up there singing me to sleep. You're the closest thing to heaven I'll ever see. The little things you did that I let bother me before. Now I wish those little things would last forever. We used to count the time by how long we'd spent apart. Now my clock is dust on the floor. And we used to joke about never growing up. So yeah, I mean this. Let's just the new record, um, "Born Against." That's a great title. Um, is this? I mean. Uh, I'm tempted to view everything that comes out now as being like a pandemic <laughs> inspired thing or something that was created in the pandemic, but records often don't work that way. Right. They take some time to make, but so what's the, what, you know, what, when was this written recorded? What's the, can we, can we put it in the context of being a, a pandemic thing or is it? <laughs> It was written and recorded during the pandemic, right. uh, but I I don't feel comfortable saying that it is a pandemic record because I, I wasn't thinking about quarantine. I wasn't thinking about the virus. I wasn't thinking about most of those things while I was writing the record. I was very much in my own world, just kind of disappeared into my own little comfort bubble. So in theory, yes. In practice, I want to say no. Yeah. It is. I'm. I'm surprised. I, I mean, it's. It's a pretty heavy record, but it's also really stripped down. Um, is that. Is that by design or is that like. Uh, you know, I feel like I feel like a lot of the songs. Let me put it this way. I feel like a lot of the songs when I listen to them, when I think back and try to remember them, I remember them as being these like full band things, and then when I listen to it, I'm like, wow, this is really. Pretty pretty stripped down. Yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of a lot of people have mentioned that this is such a full sounding record, right? And and technically, yes, it is. But we went in with a very very strict concept of using as few instruments as possible to create this, you know, massive wall of whatever we could get out of it. So most of the tracks really do have a core that is very easy to separate from the rest of the instrumentation. Um, and on the actual production side, I mean, Bo and Jeff and, and a lot of the, the players that we were fortunate enough to have on, Bo and Jeff, Bo was a producer, Jeff was engineering. Um, they were very, very good at helping me take away sounds we didn't need. So we would essentially build these, these giant basically we added as much as we could and then we'd listen back and go okay take 80 percent of it out yeah so uh, a song like quiet as a rat for example 
there's only three instruments and it sounds like there's a lot more. It's the percussion, the tuba and the electric guitar. And it, it sounds much more hectic. It sounds much more chaotic than that, but that stripped down version you're hopefully referencing and in, in that song, at least, you know, is the core of the song that is the way that they were written because when I write them, it is me alone. Yeah. I mean, I we got, focused a lot on kind of. The, and that is the song I'm, I'm thinking about, like, right. That it, in my mind, that's, there's a lot more going on in that song. And then to put it on, I'm like, wait, this is like really pretty bare bones, but it's creating this whole atmosphere of, of being much, much kind of, or it's still managing to be very heavy maybe as a way of thinking about it. Um, whilst while being kind of very stripped down, um, do you? So, I mean, you you mentioned just kind of sitting down writing on guitar. Do you have like from from a songwriting approach? Do you usually start with a with a lyric, with an idea, with a with the structure? What 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 do you? What's the? Is there any any? Um, kind of. No rhyme or reason. Yeah. No process at all. It's. I feel like it'd be a lot easier if I had a process, but goddammit, it, it's not. It just literally is whatever happens. Like, there are certain riffs that I've been sitting on for years, and I try to make them work, and I can't. Yeah. Until I find a lyric, and then I go, ah, those two work really well. So it's it's a big old puzzle piece, and I don't know which pieces are going to come out first. Yeah. It's fascinating. I mean, they're like, so, they're like, it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's whole like courses for novel writing and fiction writing and poetry writing, but, but songwriting, people are just kind of left out there to figure it out and, you know, listen to things and hobble it together. Right. It's like kind of waiting for the magic in a way. Oh my God. And you know, sometimes it's, God, I used to sit down and try to force it so much and I used to hate myself if I didn't sit down and write and then I realized it was just like nah <laughs> just let it happen when it happens but then when I do happen when it does happen I listen to it right and that's in my opinion the most important thing if, if I'm driving like I will I'll pull over and I'll just voice notes until yeah. I'm done um, and that is that strange you know, I want to call it this this mystic behind everything that isn't really us, and it's flowing through our minds. And I'm not saying that's what it is, but it's cool to to feel that way, All right? And when I started considering it as you know, the body is just this vessel, then it started being easier to just not feel bad about writing something terrible because that's my fault. Yeah. <laughs> if I wrote something atrocious, it wasn't my fault anymore. It was whoever is, you know, using the brain for a second. And uh, it's just such a, like songwriting is such a dumb thing. I, I love it, but it's just dumb. It's like you, you don't have the attention span to write a complete story. So you got to condense it down. <laughs> into a couple minutes and just repeat a bunch of stuff. So it's not even the same motion as 
their movement is poetry. It's not the same intensity as a short story, for example, or an essay or something like that. So it's just weird. Songwriting is just weird because it differs so much. Do you ever try? I mean, you know it. Yeah. <laughs> Do you ever try those other things? Do you ever try to write a short story or poetry or anything? Yeah, I don't have the attention span. Yeah. That's, I think that's the thing with songwriters, right? It's like, all right, I don't know. <laughs> At all. Yeah. That's it. I'm like, oh, I got to get one more verse in and I'm done. Blah! Yeah. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> um, cool. Um, oh, I don't know. Are you, are you, what's the What's the current state of touring? Is it, are you, are you going to take these on the road soon? Or you, do you have a sense of whether you're going to be able to do that? Texas? Uh, hopefully heard- August. I'm assuming August is, yeah, I mean, there there are shows here in Texas happening, but I'm hoping that it's a full, full U.S. starting in August. And we should probably, once I know that it's going to happen for sure, we'll we'll be announcing that. Yeah, all right, cool. I know we miss it. Yeah. I know I miss our crew, I miss our tour mates, I I miss everyone, so... I pried his kneecaps up like the lid on a can of paint I nailed his tongue to his chin so I couldn't hear him complain I stuck some PVC where the sun don't shine and fed some barbed wire through I swear to God I could see, he could see God's face when I pulled out the tube And I prayed for justice How Jesus had always taught us he turned the rain into wine, and that's not the kind miracle pull me through. At the end of the day, I found a better way to fry a fish like you.